At the centre of the life of an athlete lies somewhat of a paradox. In order to excel, we must simultaneously try to control everything, whilst also letting go of everything. We see it often with athletes who have spent hundreds of hours training to a plan based in the latest science, cross the finish line and point to the heavens and thank God for their achievement. It's like saying on the one hand, results are directly related to our actions, whilst on the other hand, they have nothing to do with them at all. So how do we rectify this paradox between working hard to control the outcome and having faith that it'll work out for reasons beyond our control? Now there's plenty to be heard from athletes and coaches about expertly laid plans scientifically verified down to the tiniest details about how their performance was controlled. But what about that other part? What about the letting go? the faith we place in the things we cannot control. I began thinking about faith and its role in performance when I met Marquise Bowden. He seemed to embody it in a way that read in terms my athlete brain could quantify. Marquise is a 33-year-old college basketballer come marathoner in pursuit of Olympic trials birth. He has a serene, humble, and matter-of-fact way of speaking that when he states his goals for the marathon, you can't help but feel he knows something we don't. Which honestly, he must, because to the observer, Marquis' goals are lofty. His best performance in the marathon is a 2.39, over 20 minutes slower than the Olympic trials qualifying standard of 2.18. And at 33, he isn't exactly the youngest in the field either. At a glance, it seems impossible, And yet that word never enters his mouth nor crosses my mind when we're chatting. After our first conversation, I was left wondering what his drive was. It's about running, sure, but is it really about running a 2.18? I'd say it's a yes and a no, and well, maybe everything in between that. It's confusing, or maybe it's just challenging in the context of high-performance athletics. Either way, I wanted to know more about the faith he possessed and how he used that to guide his journey in sport and in life. In order to understand the Marquis of now, we need to understand where it is he came from. I was raised without my mom, without my dad. My mom moved away when I was pretty young. Pretty much she she met a guy and moved on to Texas. I was about eight, eight or nine, around that age, and my dad was never in my life. And I'm not meeting my dad until I was like 27. Overcoming the adversity Marquis faced with his parents out of the picture is only part of the recipe for belief, though. My grandma was literally my backbone, my mom, my dad, everything. So me and my grandma are really close. I'm probably the biggest grandma's boy in the world. <laughs> so. She has a huge soft side, but she's also very, very strong-minded. You know, like you need that balance, you know, like it was all about action. So that's how I am today, too. Like she had had a soft side, she had a hard side, and she was just a person that you would never hear a complaint. You would never hear a complaint from her. Used to get up 4 a.m., 5 a.m., ride the bus to work and things like that, and I would be out with her. Drinking my, drinking my like strawberry milk while she's getting ready for work and stuff. So, you know how you have like science projects and history projects. And I still vividly remember, but she wasn't hard on us. Like she wasn't like, 
shaking the finger. She was very involved with what she can. I remember having a history project where I had to make like this old school, like, what's the word? Like a, like a roll almost. And I remember she teaching me how to like get the paper and put lemon juice on it and burn it with the iron. And then you can use fire. It's like make it give that old age feeling. Things like that just stick with my heart, my mind, you know, back in the day. She was very involved, but she only, she's a grandma. She, you know, she has her own life. Uh, so my grandma worked in the medical field. Uh, so she worked in the records, just a blue collar person who just wanted to work, just loved to work. And we would always go to work with her when we were younger and help her do her job and stuff like that. And eating peppermints and stuff out of her, out of her candy jar. She's tired after working 12-hour shifts and coming home, and so... Home was a full house. My grandma's kids and their kids, we all stay in the same house. So it was about seven or eight of us total in a four-bedroom house. <laughs> we all sleep in the same bed together, getting the bathtub together when we were younger. So we're, we will always be with our grandma, like, all the time. So we all, like... My grandma had a little Mazda. <laughs> All of the cousins would spin the Mazda, and I would be the one, because I was the tallest, but still not that tall, but I will be the one in the far back. The cops come, I have to, like, kneel down. We were always together. We were always with our grandma. It's crazy to think about all of us in one. I mean, that's how it is, you know, in the inner city, in the, in the hood, pretty much, necessarily be truthful. It's a lot of brokenness, a lot of single moms, a lot of single families, like, that's just how it is. And we just loved each other because that's all we had. We'll fight, we'll get into it, but that's just normal family stuff. Church was one thing grandma didn't play with. So that was one thing my grandma didn't play with. <laughs> we had church on Sunday, Saturday night, we were getting our clothes ready the night before. And, and as well as my aunt, my aunt were big church goers. And we were in church a lot growing up. We were in the choir, we're in, you know, in Christian fraternities and we're going to church. We always be like, oh man, <laughs> you know, but obviously being in, the, in those moments, you still learn something, you know, so it, it just blossomed, you know, it's something special to where, you know, again, it's all about where you, where you surround yourself with, you know, kind of correlated with that, you know, being at church, you're going to be around other church lovers, you know, God lovers, so. Marquis' grandma shaped his life in numerous ways, from getting his hands on a Bible and a basketball. You see, Marquis lived in a neighborhood of athletes. My neighbor, which is like my best friend, his name's Sir John, and we had another neighbor across the way named Barry. Barry and his dad, his dad was a coach, like Pop Warner coach, basketball coach. Both had basketball courts in their backyards. And so obviously we'll always be out playing or and then that, it just grew from there, from being at such a young age and seeing them like blossom playing travel basketball and watching them play like pop a football. I'm like, dang, like play with these guys every day. Like, why can't I, you know, I should be doing it. Try going out for pop Warner football. Pop Warner football, for those of you like me who didn't know, is like the little league for youth football. What the little league is, I have no idea. My grandma was like, nah, <laughs> and just couldn't afford it to at the same time. But she was like, dude, like, you love your brain or what? So she scared me with that. <laughs> and so I was like, all right, basketball. My 
my grandma again was so supportive. She couldn't really do too much, so I was always going to practice with my friends or getting picked up with my friends' dads or because my grandma again just couldn't do much and my mom wasn't there and my dad's not there, so who else is gonna be there? So I was always with my coaches, I was always with my friends and catching rides or sleeping at my coach's house. And so I was that kid. You know, I think everyone had a kid on their teams or that, you know, it just the circumstances, but you know, you would never know. Basketball was like all I had. All day training, working out with my best friend, which is my next door neighbor, up four in the morning training. And it was always a trial. It was always a tough go, you know, but I kept going, kept grinding at it. And it'll be a season where I don't get no playing time. My grandma would be like, you don't have to play, or I wish you would do something else. And I would be like, granny, leave me alone. No, I'm gonna get this. It was tough, you know, like we'll have like, banquets and I would have nobody there or, you know, it was tough. I, those things I would never forget, but it's like, I feel like we go through things in life. I mean, I want to have kids one day, <laughs> you know, so like I went through all that stuff. So my kids don't have to worry about that, you know, so uh, that's just how I think about it personally. But yeah, life's hard. <laughs> life's really hard. I wasn't really that good. Even my sister, she had the, the nickname Lisa Leslie. I don't know if you guys know who Lisa Leslie is. She was a great basketball player back in the day, played for the Sparks. My sister used to beat my butt. Like, used to whoop me. Like, I would never win. She would block my shot, scream at me, ah. Also, again, just having two great studs who were really good in basketball. Just wanted to be great, you know, be as good as them, you know. And obviously, it surpassed my sister. She stopped playing. I used to beat her all the time. and. But uh, working out with, with my two best friends at a young age and just wanting to be good and just like, hey, I just have this love for the game of basketball, putting so much into it at a young age. And also also at a later age, you know, like a lot of people start when they're super young. You know, I came into it like, honestly, really like sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, and that's late, you know, to try to be really good at sports. I had to work harder than everybody that transpired to me playing like church leagues and I sucked. I just, just got to the point where I just got tired of like, dang, being a guy, getting in the game, 30 seconds left. I got tired of like being a guy, oh, I didn't get in this game. So I just took it as a constant challenge, you know, and just got progressively better and better just because I had that chip on my shoulder. I'm grateful that's how it transpired. I had to literally work for every single thing, you know, every single thing, and I wouldn't have had it no other way, you know. I think I didn't have anything else. All I knew was, again, being outside with my friends and then obviously, again, playing in church leagues and then progressing that to, you know, middle school, high school basketball, transferring. I just kept, like, wanting to get better and better, but going, like, summer camps and, you know, so it was like, I was just, it's all I had. So I just kind of consistently just wanted to get better, really wanted to get better. I obviously got more serious as I got older. Playing against some of the, I think Los Angeles has some of the best talent in the world <laughs> as far as sports wise and so you you're surround again crazy athletes and you get a little taste of it and like opportunities came I just kept stepping up to them and playing with like Paul George and playing against like the Brooke and Robin Lopez Quincy Poindexter in high school like I played against some crazy people who are in the NBA you know so I constantly just wanted to like you know, get better. It's crazy to think about like, dang, like that involves so much of my life. <laughs> Being at 24 hour fitness at four o'clock in the morning, like eyes crusty and dribbling a basketball. 
The grind paid off, kinda. So Marquis set his eyes on the next level, junior college basketball. There was a point in time where I was like, pretty good. But again, I just always had to work a little bit harder than the next person. Opportunities kept coming. And it was never sweet though. It was never like, ah, oh, good, no, I'm great. Like it was never smooth. It was always like some kind of battle. All the junior college, junior colleges, is the most cutthroat thing ever, especially if you're not like a star or, you know, even like that person coming off the top of the bench. Junior college, people will go in the summertime, will go and try out, work out for like five or six different schools at one time just to find their their place on the team. So I was doing that. I was shopping my, you literally shopping yourself around, you know, and everyone just wants to play. And it's got over 50,000 people in let alone one, one state, one city, you know, in California that's trying to make a spot of 10 of 11 on the team. It's pretty crazy. It's a very cutthroat. Marquise, rather than the ball, got bounced around through the junior college system. I thought I found my niche on teams and uh, I stayed at places where I probably shouldn't have stayed, but it made me into the person I am today. That's why my grandma was always like, you should do something else. Like I was really good at drawing. I was really good at art because that's kind of how another way how I expressed myself. My grandma knew that. And she was like, hey, you should get into art. You should... And I was not rebellious. No, <laughs> I want to play basketball. Like <laughs> I emailed over like a hundred schools. Like one day at work, on the clock, I'm over emailing schools, copying and pasting. Got my, my laptop to work, and I emailed over a, a thousand universities. I gotta find my way out. You know, again, that's the grind of college basketball. <laughs> you know, and super duper small school and I don't know if you guys ever heard of Palmdale, California or Lancaster, California, middle of nowhere, <laughs> just a dirt spot. It's just middle of nowhere. This small school gave me a chance and it's a private, small private school called West Coast Baptist and I went there, loved it, super conservative, super different than LA and, and Compton. I had to wear a tie every day, which I was fine with and and it was going good. And then next thing I know, I get a, I get an email. Hey, Marquise, you're, you owe over $20,000 of tuition. I'm like, uh, what are you guys talking about? And come to find out, I, ended up getting, I didn't get a full scholarship. I got a partial scholarship. Financial aid couldn't cover. So I had to come back home to Carson Compton. Literally back to square zero. So came back, tried to go junior college again. And mind you, I'm like 26 years old. old. I'm pretty old but still trying to like nurture the stream of minds of basketball. So that didn't work out. Try to come home. The coach at the time at Cypress College was like, no. And I worked out with the team. I literally ripped every single person's head off in that, in that tryout. Like I was scoring left and right because I had I was on this mission. Learned so much at West Coast. I came back to the inner city of California with just like a mission. And coach is like, I want to have you, but I already made promises to other people, you know, and I was like, hey, that's just, a, that's just how the business is, <laughs> you know, so I felt like a deep depression, uh, honestly, went to a dark place, I couldn't make a shot, I couldn't dribble, I couldn't catch a ball, let alone these are things that I know I can do with my eyes closed, but I was in such a place mentally that I wouldn't want anyone to go through, no one, 
I wouldn't want, I wouldn't wish that even on, I don't hate anyone in this world, but I wouldn't wish that upon no one. It was during this dark time that the path once again swerved under Marquis' feet. Running found him. A friend invited Marquis to join him in the Blacklist LA run crew. So, every Monday evening after leaving his sweat, tears and dreams on the basketball court at practice, Marquis would get in the car in West Covina, fight LA traffic for 19 miles to downtown, to join for a few miles in the dark. Just the literal dark, this time. That was such a dark place with, with basketball and where I was at. But the run crew, that's the, my, my number one memory and something I carry on everywhere I go is community, is people. And seeing people smile, hearing people smile, and, and people just wanting to know how you're doing, is that's like the biggest thing. Like, it's not even physical. It's more so emotionally, you know. It's, it's the welcoming of, of people, you know. I had, like, my basketball shorts on. <laughs> And I was really quiet. I mean, I, I still am a pretty quiet person. I'm pretty just chill, laid back. And, and I just remember just like, hey, how, I've never seen you here. How are you doing? You know, like, and I was dying. You know, like, I feel like I was in good shape because of basketball. But, you know, running like three miles is a lot, you know, like at that time. And I just remember just like <laughs> trudging along on the back, you know. But having the time of my life, though, you know, and and that grew so crazy like i ended up joining that run crew and pacing for them like you know pacing you know certain groups to help other people because so many people already helped me you know so i was like i felt indebted to join that team that made that run crew and you know help the community so it's pretty special it's like when the flower blossoms you know the rose petals start opening and you start being more receptive to life and you start feeling the sun again Through Blacklist LA, Marquise merged paths with Blue Benedum, a fixture in the LA running community. Marquise found himself joining Blue's group, the now defunct Nike Running Club, on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Pretty quickly, Marquise wanted to hop in a race, maybe a 5k or 10k. Blue sent him straight up to the big dance, the marathon. So, in the fall of 2017, just a year after Marquise first showed up to Blacklist LA in his basketball shorts, he found himself towing the line at the Chicago Marathon. It was an unforgettable day. And so the, it was a, such a beautiful day, a beautiful day, tough day. Like I ran really good up to mile 13, literally the halfway point, maybe a little bit past half. After that was the most miserable thing I've ever experienced in my life. I started cramping in my hamstrings early on, like mile 15-ish. I was cramping in both my both my legs from 15 all the way to 26, which is like an eternity of, of time. Like it was never ending. My buddy Ray, I literally had waved to him maybe four steps later, cramped in my left hamstring. He came and rubbed it out for me on the course and rubbed my hamstring. And then five steps later, my obviously hamstring kept kept cramped up on me. So you go through that pain, you know, that's just a part of marathoning. Like your body, literally my body was out of glycogen, out of carbs. So obviously it's going to start rejecting. My body had hit its, hit its wall and you got to get to the finish line. It's point to point. You can't just, I can't quit. That's I cannot quit. I won't stop. I stopped a whole lot, walked a whole lot, 
it still ran a 309 unforgettable <laughs> unforgettable i i cried so much in the middle in the end and everything in between and was so happy to be done <laughs> and that's why i knew the sport was for me Marquis's feet had found the running path and they were glued tight. For the first time in his life, Marquis packed up his belongings and left LA. His destination, the endurance athletics mecca of Boulder, Colorado. Literally packed up my car the day after Christmas and drove to Boulder, not knowing what was to come. Not knowing at all what was to come, didn't know anyone really. It's just me and my, my little box of an apartment, you know, and just making the best of it, you know, and continue just hoping for the best. Once again, a friend led him to a running group, this time the Boulder Underground. I run for a team called Boulder Underground, which is, again, just a, a team of full-time workers who also dream and aspirations to be crazy sick runners, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, the quote really came from basketball is, is a – such a safe haven for me and I, you know I went through so much so much that has definitely prepared me I feel like it's given me an edge I don't know if you guys can tell I have frostbite on my nose it's gotten better <laughs> but I, I've got frostbite on my nose and just like I just gotta go out there and grind you know running in negative 14 degree weather like I got frostbite on my nose <laughs> blew my mind and my family like dude you're crazy but my mindset I gotta go get it you know it's not I always tell myself, too, not to be redundant, but, like, it's never going to be convenient, you know? Like, if we wait to do something when it's convenient, we're going to miss out on so much. And so every day I bundled it up. Every day I got out there and got and got after it. Never when it was 70 degrees and sunny. No, like, what are you going to do when that wind chill hits you? Are you going to just close the door? I'm like, no, I got I to gotta go out there and get it. As Marquis spread his roots in the Boulder running community, his dreams grew higher and wider. What made me think I could run pretty much professionally at a high level is what my heart was telling me. I didn't think initially like I was going to go pro or I just knew that I already wanted to run at a high level. And I just told myself, I just want to go as far as I can go. As time progressed, the goals started increasing, the dreams started increasing. I'm like, I don't want to do anything else in my life. I want to run at a high level and just be the best that I can be, literally just be the best I can be. That's all I'm going to want to do still. And that's what got me to this point and just wanted to get better and wanted to be the best I can be. I want this so badly, not in like a suffocating way, but in a way that I know that this is what I, I meant to be doing on this earth. I want to continue, keep, continue to keep riding the wave. I love this sport, love this sport so much. Once again, the grind paid off. Marquis shaved 26 minutes off his marathon time clocking 2.41 at the LA Marathon in 2020. He took another three minutes off, unofficially, during peak pandemic, running 2.39 at the virtual Boston Marathon. Because I love the sport. That's what makes me think I can do it. And I love the process. And all I can do is try. I'm not going to, I'm not guaranteeing myself that I could do it. But I know I have a heart that wants to do it. And, and things are aligning in a sense to where it makes me believe every day that I can do it. Plus the people around me, uh, they're chasing it too. So I'm not alone. Don't confuse Marquis' faith for arrogance or even confidence. I'm not going to say I'm the most confident person in the world. No, (laughs) 
I'm, I have days where I'm just like, dang, can I do this? But I just make sure it doesn't last long. I sit on it, I don't try to fight it, but I'm still gonna get out this door and go <laughs> get this workout in. But there's days where it definitely, I feel like it, it gets tough, but I just, again, I just think about where I'm trying to get to every day and try to approach it with love. That's the biggest thing. If anything, all in all, it's all love. I try to do it with love. My grandma's taught us and raised us that you do everything from love, there's nothing you can't accomplish. Yes, yeah, maybe hard, it's gonna be different than the next person, but all you can do is approach it with love. Approaching running with love isn't just a platitude for Marquise. It's a process. The process starts by stripping out comparison. There's this workout we do twice that I just couldn't nail. But I think I was always thinking about like my teammates who are obviously faster than I am. But I'm like, dang, I didn't do as good as them. Or thinking about X, Y, and Z. And my coach is like, comparison is a thief to all joy. You're going to miss out on your greatness. You're going to miss out on how far you're coming because you're comparing yourself to somebody else. And that quote has changed my life, you know? And now, even in New York City, I ran almost a two-minute PR. But I was thinking, like, dang, like, it lasted, like, 0.1 second. I was like, dang, I wanted to run hour 13 or hour 14. I ran hour 15. And I'm like, dude, you just PR by two minutes. And it instantly, the quote, comparison to think to all joy, I'm looking at my teammates who are obviously just crushed it. But I'm thinking about outside of what I just accomplished, you know? So that quote is everything to me, like everything, because it, it just it just correlates with everything, you know? And the progress you make is not compared to someone else's, you know? Like you can't compare yourself to the next person. Be happy with your, with your wins, you know? <laughs> with your losses, like... Don't compare yourself because, again, you're gonna, it's, it's going to take all your joy. And I was like, I smiled instantly after I thought about that. You know, and my teammates were super happy for me. And I'm like, dude, you just crushed it. You know, New York City is a hard course. Like, that course is hard. And if I if we were anywhere else, it would have been like two minutes faster. So I'm like, oh, shoot, okay, I'm all, I'm all right. I'm good. You know, like, I'm all right. So, yeah, that quotes everything. I won't erase it. It's going to probably be there forever because <laughs> it's, it's going to always come up. It's almost like Marquise is on a preordained path. You see the door to this path on his Instagram bio, which reads Matthew 6.34. My grandma, we were raised in church. Worry about today, because today has its own troubles. Worrying about tomorrow is only going to stress you out. It's going to cause so much more anxiety, but staying in the moment, being the day, being in what's in front of you. All of my tattoos are kind of biblical too. So my life verse is Philippians 4.13, which is, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. So just giving me the will to know I can do anything, you know, that I put my mind to, because I'm not alone, you know, but being raised in church from my grandmother, you know, that's, that's what we believe. We gain strength from, it's from God. I won't strive from it, because that's, again, that's who I am. And that's what I was raised to do, raised to, raised to believe and raised to be. And it's what gives me my strength every day, my encouragement every day is knowing that my my strength is drawn not just from myself, it's from the men above. It calms me, especially when I, I can just subtly just have a prayer. Again, I pray every day, especially I pray uh, before every workout, I pray before every run. Like very subtle, nothing like crazy, super elaborate. And again, I say Philippians 4.13 every day. Like 
I can do all things through Christ that strengthen that strengthens me. Like I can do it. I can do this. I can. And again, it gives me peace. It gives me calmness. Before I go into work, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens. So it's one of those things that it's just a universal thing for me. Especially going into put so much hard work into this build, this build up, you know. And I know I couldn't have done it without God being with me. And so I thank Him every day, like. Even when I get up in the morning, like I'm still in my bed, I'm just like, shoot, I, I always recite what I'm thankful for every day, like, or where I'm trying to get better at. Like, I came in last night juggling a lot of things in my mind. And I do that, I light a candle and I put on my vinyl and I just like take time to myself, like, not in the complete dark, that's kind of weird, but like, I just like take time to like, I want to process stuff, you know, and you know, I take time to pray. I'm stretching, I'm rolling out, you know, I'm like, it just gives me my peace that I need. And again, I have my Bible sitting right here in front of me as well. Like, it's just my peace, you know, and my time with God is this time with myself. So I can remember when vividly, it's happened so recently. It's 5.45 in the morning, I'm doing a workout and uh, I crushed my last rep. And I kind of, I always kind of, I do this a lot, honestly. And I did it once where it was just, <laughs> I didn't know there was someone else coming <laughs> on the opposite side of the road because it's kind of dark. And um, I just go, I scream like, whoo, and like, thank you, like, thank you, God. Like, I just scream it out. And this lady's like, <laughs> I'm like, dang, have a good day. By approaching the process, the path underfoot, and the path ahead with love, Marquise can't help but win. Outspoken is a Thereabouts production. Produced by myself, Angus Morton, and Abby Levine. Written by myself and Abby Levine. Executive producer, Isaac Carson. Sound design and mix by Ben Cranell. If you like what you hear, please get behind us. Head to thereabouts.ghost.io and become a member. We really thank you for all your support and we hope that you keep coming back. If you like what you hear, spread the word write a review, I don't know, do whatever you're supposed to do in order to spread the love uh, and spread the word about our podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Angus Morton. Until next time.